You guys, uh, let's stand. Let's stand if you would. Father, we come to you tonight and I almost feel like, and I pray it's true, that we're trading upon holy ground right now because that worship, we could sense your response to it. That's what was going on. This body offering up their worship to you and then we could sense your presence is what's amazing. There's a freedom and a peace and a calm Lord, we thank you that wherever your people gather, there you are in the midst of them. That makes it, Lord, our heaven on earth for now. Until the day come. And Father, we pray also that tonight you'd speak to us, Lord, from your word. And the, 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 the thing that just constantly blows my mind is how... God, you use your word the way that you do with the vitality and the versatility to reach a child or to reach an elderly person in this, with the same verses. There's, I don't know of anything else in the universe that can do that. There's target groups and there's focus groups on how to reach this group and how to reach that demographic and how to do that thing. And you blow all that to pieces by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you keep us a church that no matter how hard we try to organize, that you, you would just frustrate us in that area, that you, you just... That we would do what you want done and nothing that we want done that you don't want done would ever get done. <laughs> That's the truth of the matter. Don't let us succeed where you're not moving. And don't let us do the American thing about throwing money at something until it works. That's wrong. Not by, not by might, <clears throat> nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we ask you, Father, just keep doing what you're doing. We don't, we don't want to get in the way. We thank you, God, for all the amazing things that is coming out of the hearts and the lives of these people right here, right now, that's literally reaching the lost and making disciples around the world. It's epic. And we're going to meet those people soon. How in heaven are we going to talk to somebody who only speaks Japanese? I don't know. It's going to work. How in heaven, Lord, are we going to talk to somebody who only speaks Russian or Peruvian? But it's going to work. Maybe, maybe we'll all speak Hebrew. Probably. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Bless our night together. We've come to see Jesus. And I thank you for these Monday nighters, uh, these, sorry, Wednesday nighters. That's another church that I'm, no, I'm kidding. No, the Wednesday nighters, who a long time ago used to be the Monday nighters. That's how this whole group started 30 years ago. You're awesome. We love you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Remain standing if you would. Remain standing. We'll read the scripture together. It's been a while since we've been here.
But uh, we've also been so long in the same place, it's going to feel like we've never left it. Uh, you'll recognize it immediately. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 18. And um, if time permits, we might even push down to the end of the chapter, uh, down to verse 20. But um, I'll read the odd if you'll join uh, with the even. Nice and loud, everybody. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And so after he had patiently endured, by the way, in your margins of your Bible tonight, after the word endured, you're going to write for 25 years, he obtained the promise. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, which is you, the immutability, big word, uh, God's inability to change, he cannot change, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Oh, my goodness. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Just those words are comforting. If you look at that passage of Scripture, and of all things, it's found in Hebrews chapter 6, a chapter that many people have been tormented by in much of their Christianity, and it ought not to be. We've been studying that. Again, we were looking at it some weeks ago. But tonight we're looking at part two of a message titled, The One and Only Promise Keeper. Do you remember we were talking about that two weeks ago, that Christ alone, God, is the promise keeper. And uh, we can take great comfort in that fact. And before we get into it, uh, maybe we'll have this on the screens. I, I, I hope so. I should have made it clear to the, the video guys, but if not, I'll read it. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, it's basically broken down what we saw, and that is the call of spiritual maturity. Thank you guys, there it is. In verses one through three, we learn that it is a call to spiritual progress. As a believer, listen, the moment we get saved, that's not the beginning and the end of your Christian experience. Oh, I got saved 13 years ago. Well, have you been walking with Jesus since? Uh, no. Then there's a pretty good chance that you didn't know what you were doing 13 years ago. Why? Because the whole Christian experience is the pilgrim's progress. Very important. In verses 4 through 6, we learn that this progress reveals the reality of our salvation for the true follower of Jesus Christ. Those verses are the ones that have tormented people who thinking is teaching that it, you can lose your salvation. No, you, listen... You, you don't lose with Christ. You don't lose your salvation if you have it. That's what I want to stress. I'm exaggerating now pretty loud to get it across. Make sure you have it. Because if you have it, you ain't going to lose it. But a lot of people think they have it, be it legalism, morality, church membership, baptism. I don't know what the, what the hook is, but... Uh, it's actually almost a form of deception. It would almost be better if you've never even heard the gospel. 
than to believe it wrongly. Well, Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6 actually unpacks the reality that if you uh, draw near to the things of God and you experience, for the example, worship like you did tonight, and you even feel good about it, and, uh, and oh, wasn't the Bible study, wasn't it encouraging, and, and you can approve of all these things over some length of time. You wind up thinking going back to the old world you came from. You wind up giving up. Did you lose your salvation? Not at all. You were a believer in the sense that you believed, but you never took your belief to faith. A lot of people believe. Listen, the devil believes in Jesus, but he's not saved. Demons believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. Now, to the follower, there's the reality of our salvation. In verses 7 through 10, we learned that this progress results, here's, here's what's key, in fruitfulness. If God's got a hold of your life, something's going to come out of it. And if it's God, it's going to be good. Listen, if it's God, it's going to be good. If it's us, you know, just don't even go there, right? Because we can take the best thing and mess it all up. Let God do it. And that's why it's called fruitfulness, by the way. Because you never see a vineyard uh, grunting and groaning to produce a grape. You, the orange trees outside or the olive trees outside, you don't hear any of them. You can come in the middle of the night. And you'll never hear an orange tree grunting on, on this property to, to crank out an orange. It's not like, oh, 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 here, oh boy, here comes 400 more. Uh, no. No, all that tree is doing is abiding in the soil of nutrients, receiving the sun, and it does what it was designed to do. The Christian abiding in Christ, in the sun, S-O-N, with the nutrients being lifted up out of the word of God, produces fruit. The Holy Spirit does that. You don't have to worry about it. No grunting. No grunting and groaning aloud. In verses 11 to 12, we learn that this progress in fruitfulness demands our diligent effort. That's normal. You see, Pastor Jack, is that works? Do I work my salvation? No, you don't work your salvation. What you do is that when you get saved, now you apply it. Can you write that down, everybody? You guys okay? Apply it. Apply it. When you hear the gospel, if it really took root in your heart, you're going to be somebody that really cares tonight about applying the word of God into your life. No one's going to have to tell you, read your Bible, get up, read your Bible. Did you read your Bible today? I mean, I understand that we would encourage our little kids to do that and our teenagers to do that, but let's be honest, at some point in time, uh, when they get old enough, they're going to turn back and say, I don't want to read it. And that's when your heart breaks and you cry, you, you fast. Uh, and, and the reason why is because they've now come into the realm of being uh, accountable. They have now come into that area of, of being responsible to God for their own faith, not yours. Up until that moment, they've lived and been safe under your faith. It's called teen rebellion, by the way, by the world. They don't understand that when a teen begins to rebel, what they're actually doing is they've come out from under your faith, and now they're looking for their own. And it's a critical moment, mom and dad, that you get that kid's questions answered. Because you whittle down everything about teen rebellion, all comes down to who's in charge. 
What authority is going to govern my life? By the way, listen, I'm not putting them down for this, by the way. But so many very young men grow up in fatherless homes. And um, they have a tendency, it depends on your zip code. Depends on your income. Listen, there's a lot of big incomes and a lot of swanky zip codes in California where kids grow up fatherless. Now, I, don't mean my, I don't mean that the dad is gone. I mean, the dad is in the house. He comes home every day. But there's no interaction between the dad and the kids. And what happens, listen, kids will gravitate toward a hierarchy. Did you know this? It's built into them. When a kid begins to push back, this has nothing to do with their Bible study. When a, when, a, when a kid pushes back, guys, go ahead and leave that on the screen, though. It's going to remind me to come back to planet Earth in a minute. When a kid is pushing back what, you're, that what you, mom and dad, have been telling them to do, it's not that they don't love anymore. They're going through a huge internal battle. They're not even quite sure who they are. They're trying to figure out who's in charge. And by the way, when that happens, you'll hear them gripe about everything. You don't know what you're talking about which is really hilarious. We have to bite our lip because they sound so dumb and they're telling us, you don't know nothing. They kind of sound like Rocky Balboa. For the, uh, anyway, there's, some of us know who that is. But, um, but in their mind, you don't know anything. And neither, do, and neither does that cop and neither do my teachers. Nobody can tell me what to do. At least that's how guys do it. I don't know how girls do it. And um, what's happening? We're losing our child. Uh, You might be. We don't know yet. Depends on where they land. That's why a spiritual foundation. You know, listen, you guys, here's the truth of the matter. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, you're still in really good hands because when we're dead and gone, your kids from the earliest age in the children's ministry on both sides of this building, right? You know kids here from the youngest age are being taught doctrine. Did you know that? I don't know about other churches, and I don't want to know. But right here, these kids, listen, these little kids go through apologetic courses on, 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 on how to know what they claim to know, and do they believe it? That's awesome. What, say what, Jack, why do you say that? Because if this church does its job, it doesn't mean, mom and dad, you're supposed to do your, it doesn't mean you drop the kid off. We've caught parents doing this. It's against the law, by the way. They could be arrested. Did you know parents come to this church, they drop their kid off, they check them in, they drive away? Did you know, did you know we could have them arrested for that? Oh, man, that's awesome, man. Two hours of babysitting. Do you know if something happened to that kid and you're not there? CPS would be knocking on your door by midnight. You can't leave a kid alone, and you can't say, well, I'll let the church teach my kid all the spiritual stuff. We are only the salt and pepper on the steak that you are marinating, (laughs) tenderizing all week long called junior. Right? That was a bad analogy, but you get my picture? (laughs) Pastor Jack said I could call you meathead. In verses 11 to 12, we learn that this progress in fruitfulness demands our diligent effort, meaning, next slide, is that we apply ourselves. Hebrews 6, 13 to 20, we learned about the basis for our spiritual security. And this is where we're at. 
In verses 13 through 15, we'll learn that our security is based upon the promises of God alone. In verses 16 through 18, we'll learn that such promises are based upon God's oath and his ability to perform that oath. Wow. And if we get there, verses 19 to 20, we'll learn that this basis, this foundation, the promises of God are all found in and upon Christ or God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It's all up and in Him. It's absolutely fantastic. And so we learned this quickly, verses 13 to 14, that he is bound to himself. God is speaking in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 that God is announcing to the believer tonight, I am bound to myself. And that's a powerful statement. It says in verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. God shook his own hand. And very quickly, you can read it later. It's such a blessing. Go read tonight before bed, Genesis chapter 15. It's awesome. God has Abraham set up an altar. It's a big deal. The sacrifice is made. And this is what happens. Vultures, I think that's a picture of demonic activity in my, I'm not being weird here. But he, he's obeying God and he's putting a sacrifice of animal on the altar and he's waiting for God to show up and the Bible tells us that vultures keep trying to take the offering away off the altar. I think that's a picture of Satan trying to take the offering that you place upon the, the throne or the altar as it were before God. If you, when you say, Lord, I want to get closer to you. Listen, the hounds of hell hear that. You say, oh, no, I'm not going to say it anymore. Say it louder. I'm dead serious. You and I, you've heard this a thousand times. You and I are living between two kingdom realms, and you're the prize. The fight, the war, the whole story is performed by Jesus for us. That is radical. It's absolutely incredible. What God says is what, he's, what he will say. He never changes. He's bound to himself. Read Genesis 15. While that altar is there, watch. Abraham is throwing, what's the word? Beating, he's uh, getting the vultures off the, the sacrifice. Plus, we know from scripture that if a vulture, which is an unclean bird, touches an, an offering, now the offering's defiled in the Old Testament. And so he's shushing them off and shushing them off and they're just ugly anyway. And the Bible tells us that God shows up and this is the first thing that happens. God somehow causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. He just, can you imagine? Abraham just falls asleep. The whole moment he's been waiting for it's like, don't miss this part. It's a really great part. Don't miss this part. You know, and you got toothpicks in your eyes. You know, you're just, okay. And he just, <laughs> Abraham's asleep. He falls asleep. And God is there, and he takes the appearance of a burning torch. And the Bible says that God, because he could swear by none other, he swore by himself. That is, God agreed with God. What? Oh, Yeah. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, 
And yet you find him manifesting himself in three persons throughout the entire scriptures from Genesis 1-1, by the way, right there, all the way to Revelation 22. And because he's not going to swear, he's not going to make the deal with Abraham, thank God. He's not going to shake Abraham's hand while Abraham was out like a light. By the way, so were you and I when you and I uh, were in the world, weren't we? We were spiritually out like a light. By the way, to even make it more intense, you and I weren't around. We weren't even thought of in Abraham's day, were we? Listen, what about the cross 2,000 years ago? You weren't even thought of. I wasn't even thought of then. But God. While you and I, so to speak, were sleeping in the halls of time, Christ died on the cross. And because he could swear by no greater... He was suspended between heaven and hell. Jesus died for us on the cross. And as Abraham is out like a light, looking dead, how about that? He looked dead. God in the flaming torch passed between the offering, right between the sacrifices, and consumed them. And God, who could swear by none greater, swore with himself, unto himself, this is what I'm going to do. And I'll paraphrase it. Everyone who believes just like Abraham has believed me will be my children. They will be my sons and daughters. The criteria, though, is to believe just like Abraham believed. And what did Abraham believe? It wasn't tested for a long time. Maybe some 50 years after the birth or I should say total, from the time of the promise to the time of Isaac being born is about 25 years. And then it's assumed, we think, from Jewish uh, history, that Isaac and Abraham went to Mount Moriah. Remember, he's going to be sacrificed by Abraham, his father, according to what God said. Somewhere around 25 to 30 years of age. Abraham's an old man. So think about that. That Abraham is living out this remarkable testimony of Bible prophecy that God would ultimately fulfill in Jesus on the same mountain, Mount Moriah, on the cross, and God did all the work. And God promised himself, I'm going to keep this agreement. I'm going to keep this oath. Friends, listen. If there was ever a true or truth to the statement, we're going along for the ride... It's the Christian. We're going along for the ride. He's done it all. He loves us. He provided the way of salvation. He provided it. And then here, here's the battle, is that he's been trying to get his, his urgent communication through enemy lines across the field, as it were, to your heart. Because according to the Bible, this world has been given into the hands of Satan, and he rules this world. That doesn't, people don't like to hear this. Yes, the Bible says it, that Satan at this time is the God of this age. He's manipulating the airwaves. He's manipulating minds that are open to him. By the way, the only way to have a mind that is not open to him is to have a mind renewed in Christ. If your mind is not renewed in Christ, you're a sitting duck for demonic influence. And the moment you deny that, I can just hear somebody say, oh man, that's so radical. I totally don't believe that. You are so sucked in already. He already got you. If, 
Charles Spurgeon said, uh, doubting, doubting God is putting faith in the devil. We also learn in ver- verse 14, what God does is what he will do. Oh, that's comforting. So church, we pick it up where we left off. It's in now the second argument is that the, only, the, the one and only promise keeper is in verses 15 to 16 in that he has set the times for himself. And you remember that we talked about the fact that when God goes to work, he works a work. And in verse 15 it says, and so after he, that's Abraham, had patiently endured, that's 25 years you can write in your margins there. He obtained the promise. Can you imagine? Abraham, Sarah's going to have a baby. Wow, really? I believe you, God. Sarah was not so quick to get on board. In fact, she gives him a lecture or two. She goes, do you realize how old I am? And then she actually says to him, she goes, do you know how old I am? Do you know how old you are? She goes, here's the deal. You expect me to believe what you just said? What God has announced? You expect me to believe that? That a woman in my age, she said, listen, that a woman in my age should have pleasure? I am dried up. Can you imagine now? Can you imagine? Abraham, Sarah, hi. Can you imagine? So the promise comes to Abraham. The promise comes to Abraham. And Sarah, um, how are you feeling? A little nauseous? Want some crackers? No, I feel fine. No nausea? You sure you're not getting a little bump? No, I'm fine. All right. Can you imagine? Can you imagine get, being, being given the promise and this, you're not seeing it happen? Uh, uh, how many times is it not recorded? If, if I say, can't make up Bible, that's how you wind up in hell. Um, I, wonder, I wonder how many times Abraham walked out into the stars and said, just make sure I don't cut you. You did say, right? Like seven years ago, you said this, right? That's what I thought you said. It's just been, it's just been seven years. <clears throat> I wonder how many times he reminded God. Excuse me, God, it's been 17 years. Sarah, how do you feel? You have a headache, anything, come on, give me something. Do you feel a little morning sickness at all, anything? Can you imagine, one morning, can you imagine? She probably came to him and said, "Uh, Abraham, uh, don't think it's the stomach flu. I don't think it's COVID. I think something's going on. Can you imagine her in her ancient of days body and she's pregnant? Wow, it happened. Remarkable. Why? Because when God goes to work, he's going to work the work. Let him have it. Let him do it. There's a powerful reality check here for all of us with this, by the way, people. When it says that after he had patiently endured, can you please write those words down? And I mean it. Don't look at me because then I know you just honestly write it down. Because if you've not, if you haven't had to do that yet, your day's coming. And you're going to need to remember tonight's message. God is going to say something to you. And it's not like Taco Bell where you get it in a minute and a half where it's for free. God is going to say to you something. So, for example, hypothetically, you've been praying for God for a husband. Oh, God, I want a husband. 
in your timing, you would have them by the end of the service tonight. In fact, you would interrupt the service and you would have your wedding right here, right now. And God, and God is saying to you, nothing. You've heard nothing. You haven't heard yes, you haven't heard no, you've heard nothing. And if you, listen, if you haven't heard nothing, that means God is speaking. How can you say that? Because he didn't say yes or no. He's speaking with the word that we don't ever want to hear. Wait. Wouldn't you rather just, you know, wait? It's hard to wait. I have found in my own life, it's easier to wait when you're alone. Listen up. It's harder to wait when there are people around you. You want to know why? Because everybody has graduated from Job's helper school. <laughs> hey, Jack, didn't God promise you that? Didn't you, don't you think God said that thing to you? Yeah, yeah, he did. Well, what happened? Where is it? Can you, like, leave right now? <laughs> you know? I'd rather be alone with the promise of God and wait then tell it to people or have people telling me stuff and it just makes it worse. No, God's promises, when he works a work, he does it. He doesn't ask for your help. Listen to this. Proverbs 24, verse 30. This is in the New Living Translation. Uh, it's, it's just real clear right here. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of the one with no common sense. So notice the connection. Lazy people have no common sense. What? It's true. It's true. They're missing. They miss everything. They get up too late. They miss all that stuff. And then when it happens in front of them, they don't even recognize what's going on because they don't have any common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles and it was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Verse 32. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep. Snooze button. You can use your snooze button. Just put your alarm clock in the kitchen. Think I'm kidding. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands or the hands to rest. Then po poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarce, scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Watch, when it comes to your walk and my walk with Jesus, being slothful and lazy about it is one of the worst things you can do because God wants to get up and go. And you're like, God might say to you, I know he says this to you. He says this to, says this to all of his kids. Hey, meet me, meet me tomorrow morning. He'll give you a time. Set your alarm for this. And then, listen, when it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you go, awesome, God. You got it. And you put it right there on your alarm. And then life happens, and then you're going to bed. And all of a sudden, you know, normally you hit the sack at like 10, and now it's 1130, and you go, uh, and there's this, this overwhelming push, this sense to turn off the alarm. And even say to yourself, God knows how late it is, because if I... If I don't turn it off, I'm only going to get like three hours sleep. Why do we do that? A little folding of the hands. A little closing of the eyes. It's hard to get this carcass out of bed. You know it. 
Paul said, I beat my body into subjection. That is to subject, subjection to the will of God. Our body wants to stay in bed on a cold morning. So take your alarm clock and put it in the kitchen. Don't make it so you can reach snooze. No, you, listen, this is real advice. I challenge you. Go look up great achievers throughout history. Church or no church. Great achievers. Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Beethoven. Billy Graham. Others throughout history. Martin Luther. John Bunyan. Charles Spurgeon. You know what they all have in common? I don't think any of them ever slept past 5 o'clock. Read their writings. Most of them woke up at 4. I don't know what that is. It's just 4 o'clock, some sort of divine wake-up call, I guess. So tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. <laughs> and uh, by the way, sometimes it depends on you. You wake up, you might need to you know, do your sit-ups or whatever you do. I don't know what you do. Drink your coffee, just get awake. But listen, you're light years ahead of where, where you were this morning. Watch what happens to your life. Try that for 30 days. Watch what happens. It's, a, it's amazing. Be careful for slothfulness in spiritual things. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 tells us this. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. We're not even going to get into the introduction. I'm, this is terrible. <laughs> for even when we, listen, even when we were with you, he says, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Did you know that is a, that is a motto in, in the church? Did you know that? Wasn't the church supposed to feed everybody? No. Did you know that? No, we're not. If you're a Christian, according to the Bible, if you don't work, you don't get allowed to eat. So that's slavery. No, that's freedom. You want to know why? The God that made you made you productive. Slavery is laying in bed or just being able to work, but you don't. So you just hold out your hand to uh, God, I mean government, and have them feed you. Think of this. Who sustains your Welfare. Who sustains your life? It's either God or government. Now look, if you can't work, then listen, let the government do that because we pay taxes for that. If you're a Christian, uh, look, I'm not, I may be ugly, but I'm not stupid. If you're a Christian, let the government help you because you and all of us have already paid into that. But also the church is to help you if you're a believer. Did you know that? But if you're able-bodied, you're to work, the Bible says. You see, I mean, that's harsh. That's how far we have slipped from God's standard. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, and you know this with kids, when you get done doing something, don't you feel better about yourself? You just feel better. You just come and you work in my yard and clear out my trees and stuff, and I'll tell you how good you feel. You'll just feel better. Back up on the screen is 2 Peter Chapter one, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Verse eight, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, 
be even more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. What a promise, huh? Be active. Your life should be an active life by whatever way it can. You might say, well, pastor, I'm old and I can't get around. Oh, that's okay. Your golden years have been preserved for the prayer closet. God wants to hear from you. You can probably do more damage against hell and more benefits for heaven as you pray right there in your chair. While you're breathing, as a Christian, you're able to be active with God. Isn't he amazing? The race is not to the swift. When God's in it, he'll bless you wherever you're at in life, whatever station you are in life. He'll bless you. Why? Because when our God works at work, he's the one that does the work. And he does a tremendous thing in you. Christianity is the response of what God has done for us. Maybe you grew up in a Christian church or group, and it's all about what you do. If you do these ten things, you'll be accepted. If you do these five things, you might move up on the approval charts. That's disgusting. It doesn't work that way. We also learn this in verse 16, that when God finishes a work, the work is finished. Isn't that beautiful? When God does something, he does it, and it's done. For men indeed swear by the greater. I get that. You, you do too. When men are going to shake hands, there's somebody that's in the agreement that's greater than the other. The case in point, uh, in the old days, uh, a, a bank... You know, the, the bank president would come out and he would shake your hand and here's the loan to the house. Uh, you know, good luck to you, bub. And away you go. And who was the greater? The bank manager. Who was the lesser? The one who's taken out the loan. This is common to, to people. This is normal world. There's one greater, there's one lesser in the deal. Not with God. Because he did it himself. Maybe the picture would be, can you imagine? Uh, so the other night we were celebrating a, a birthday party, a birthday. And so, and it's a very fun thing to do. If you've never done it, you should just do it once in your life. And you can go down to Newport and rent a Duffy. You know what a Duffy boat is? And they're just fun because they're electric and you can just drive, they're just, it's, you know, he can be blind and drive it. It's fantastic. <laughs> so there's the cake, and there's we're singing, and the happy birthday, and all this stuff. And, and uh, the, the amazing thing is, is that we pull out with the little Duffy, and it's, again, it's electric, right? It's just, it's like, we're moving, but, you know, there's no rumble, and there's no horsepower. It's just... And we pull out, and there's this 100-foot yacht that's parked there, and it had a name on it, and so I Googled the name. And the owner of the yacht, it's, it was built in 2013, and it was $75 million, has 14 staterooms, and it goes all around the world, and it's owned by this uh, scientist who has played a lot of big roles in the, the human genome and all that stuff. And it's like, wow, look at that day. Well, I don't know anything about the guy's life. 
And here, here, I know this. There were like seven believers praising Jesus in a little Duffy boat that cost like $1.50 next to a $75 million yacht. What is that guy? Who is, how rich really is he? Huh? He's got a yacht, Jack. Are you crazy? No, no, I'm not crazy. In our Duffy, we're believers who trust in the Lord Jesus. Listen, Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean rich men can't get in. It means it's hard. Why? Because it's easy to lean back on your own resources. It's not wrong to have stuff that God's blessed you with. It's wrong if that's your identity. Oh, look, I just got a Duffy. No, people will think I own a yacht. (laughs) No, they think you're celebrating a birthday and you, you rented it for the hour. That's what people do. Remarkable. No, listen, I don't know how great that guy was or is. It's irrelevant. I want to, you know, I want to know, is his name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because uh, we're just in a little tiny little dinghy thing and our names are written down in the Book of Life. And um, that's what, you need to make sure that's true in your life. You need to make sure. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse Three, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. You know, you know what that implies? It implies that we were dead because we had no hope. And then we became born again, and now we have hope. And by the way, it's not a hope that you hope for. It's a hope that is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what your hope is secured in, friends. Your hope is only as good as Jesus being risen from the dead. Verse 4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved, hallelujah, thank God, reserved in heaven for you, no bank. Your salvation is, is deposited in no bank. It's not tied to any currency. It's not, t- it's not tied to Wall Street. It's tied to the Golden Street in heaven where Christ is. That's where your treasure is. And he says in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready. I love this. Listen, anytime now, tonight maybe, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's going to be a day when Christ consummates our redemption. Jude chapter 1, verse 24, very famous verse, beautiful verse, Jude 1, 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's confidence, everybody. That's assurance. That's our God going to work. Final verse before we get into the third and final point in verses 17 to 18 is Psalm 138, verse 8. Psalm 138, 8 says, the Lord will perfect or complete that which concerns me. Can you mark that down? What concerns you? God says, I'll take care of that. I'll I'll, I'll complete it. I'll complete it. This goes for everything in your life. Even the stuff that Satan's trying to do to you. God will somehow use that, I'm telling you. There's a movie out right now that I don't want to endorse because some of you can't handle it, so I'm not going to say it. 
but I've already saw it twice <laughs> because it is so biblically accurate. And um, some of it, Lisa and I lived. But um, the demonic world is real. And one of the big moves of the satanic realm has been this way from Genesis. And that is to not get you to think that he's the one that's doing the doing. He comes in to muck things up and turn everything upside down and confuse you until you think you're doing the right thing. And um, that's how Satan gets into people's lives. I don't, um, I, I, it's never good to endorse a movie. It's because, listen, I don't care what Christian movie it is, it's just never good to endorse it because it's, they're never perfect enough. I learned this a long time ago. They can never be perfect enough for the Christian audience. The Christian audience can't handle it. A lot of Christians refuse to watch Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. The first response was, I'm not watching a movie by Mel Gibson. All right, stay home. Uh, well, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that Jesus took his heel and he crushed the snake's head. That's true. It, it, doesn't, say that, it, it doesn't say that Jesus did that in the Gospels. It does say that in Genesis 3.15 that Satan's head's going to get crushed with artist creativity or liberty, they call it. I thought... Mel Gibson did an amazing move right there. I never would have thought of that, and I've never seen the scripture the same since. That in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Satan's trying to discourage Jesus from going to the cross, Jesus just crushes that snake's head that's crawling by. And I thought, well, that's pretty graphic. Yes. But just know this. Hollywood is on to something but the team that's manipulating them is engineering your demise. Because if you can go, I can't, by the way, I can't see things like The Exorcist. I can't see that stuff. I can't watch it. I will not. I don't watch scary movies. I'm I'm, I have my reason. I'm not a wimp. You have no idea what we've experienced in ministry. I don't need to see it on the screen. And that stuff glorifies the enemy. But I tell you what, that stuff's real. And when you see the power of God deal with it, you actually just keep it close to your heart and to those that are with you. It's almost like a professional agreement. We just saw what we just saw. Do you agree we just saw that? Did that guy just come two feet off the ground? Was I blind? No, we all saw it. Did his eyes roll in the back of his head and turn stone black? I saw it. Did you see it? Okay, I'm just checking. You say, oh, that can't happen. Hollywood says, of course it does. They, sometimes they believe in the supernatural more than we do. Except they're playing for the wrong team. I'm sure I'll get notes on that, just saying that. Remember, I don't read them unless you sign them. You got to sign them with your phone number. I don't read, but the first thing I get is, a ma if I get mail and then nobody signed it, that's the first thing I do, I open up the mail, I turn it over, look at the back, if it's not signed, <laughs> phew, trash, automatic. Do that in life, it's fantastic.
It's a great way to live. If somebody wants to say something, if they got the guts, why don't they put their name and phone number on there? If they don't do that, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to them. That's free for tonight. Verse 17 to 18 is that he cannot change himself. So why would he? Well, good question. Why would he? He doesn't. But you and I live in the 21st century right now where churchianity is trying to change God. Some are starting to reproduce Bibles that call God a he, she. Oh, what, you, not, you don't know this? Did you know you can get a Bible and God is a she? I'm glad you don't know. You can go to churches where they teach that God is gender neutral. Look, excuse me. He was before us. He calls himself a he. Now, that doesn't make all the he's in this room great. It just means that he calls himself a he. None of us are little gods, and that's why God gives us wives, to make sure we remember that. (laughs) It's true. We don't do well without wives. We barely survive a weekend without a wife. God says, he was the first one. He said it. I'm he. I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am he. Besides me, there is no God. You have a hard time with that. I think your hard times are just beginning. If you're going to hang on to that woke logic of this world, you're missing the whole point. You, right? It's like getting in a fight with an ant. What are you doing? You're not going to, it's not going to change anything. He cannot change himself. In verse 17, we learn that it's impossible for God to transition. No, no, I know the word, I know, but listen. He's the same. He's God, and because, you, listen, we, we can become so bold in a few seconds if we believe this truth. Thus, God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Are you born again? Will you raise your hands? I want to see some heirs of promise. There you are. You're on the screen. His unchangeableness, his inability to change. Is there something God can't do? Oh, there's many things God cannot do. He can't be stupid. He can't lie. And he can't change himself. He's not evolving. The word determining here means, as you probably know, desiring, intentional, willing. Thus God willing to show more abundantly. Intentionally, God wants you to know he never changes. He can't change. What a great comfort that is. What a remarkable truth that is. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes. And amen, in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Isn't that amazing? He's, that witness is going to be shown out through us, that our God is a yes God. I don't mean yes to your whims. I mean yes to his promises. God, you promised. 
Yes, I did. Can I invite you to wrestle with God more like Jacob did? Grab on, grab on to the, the truth of God that applies to the situation and say, Lord, I'm not letting go of your word. No, you wrote it. You gave it. You said it. It's all covered there, by the way. There's, you're not going to bamboozle God. You're not going to trick him. But listen, Lord, in this area, everything I request right now, I first of all submit to thy will be done. That's a great way to start out a prayer. Lord, what I'm, about to what I'm about to talk to you about right now, I submit to the fact that thy will be done. When I'm all done ranting and raving, God, I surrender to thy will be done. But Lord, your Bible tells me that if your word abides in me, I may ask of you what I will, and you'll answer, and therefore you will be glorified. So God, here's the deal. I need to know an answer about this job. I need to know the answer about this church or about this, that, or the other. Are you hearing me? Nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. And you hang on to him. And he'll answer you. And his answer might be, no, yes, wait. But he'll answer. Um, can we? No, it's not possible. I mean, all things are possible <laughs> to them that believe. But um, so, guys, throw the verses up. I'll just tell you to. So, uh, next one. Yep. For there's, uh, there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Everybody, listen. Everybody. Not me. It's not your priest. It's not your pope. It's not Billy Graham. Well, it's not Billy Graham. Um, it's not, who's alive today? That's old. <laughs> Dr. It's, I, Dr. David Jeremiah, love him. It's not him. It's no bishop. It's one. There's only one meter between you and God. It's the man Christ Jesus. Who, yeah, look, here's the reason why. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Next verse. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. As he said, and will he not do? God keeps his word. That's Numbers 23, 19. Next slide. Let's just, let's just fly through these. For I am the Lord your God, here it is, I do not change. All of us in the world need that anchor. Oh, can I insert this? Leave it up. This is so cool. When the, in the, the ships during Jesus' day, and for quite some time afterward, um, on the ship, there was the forerunner. The forerunner is a, is a boat uh, that they would row. When the, when the ship was either in, uh, coming to harbor at low tide or a storm was raging and they couldn't get into the harbor for fear of grounding the boat. Are you with me? Life is turbulent. We're on this ship. We've come to port, but we can't get in. Why? Because we don't, we're not aware of where the shoals are at, where the rocks are at. Um, how shallow is the water, the tide? We don't know. What do we do? No problem. The captain orders the forerunner to be lowered down to the, 
level of the deck and they take the anchor of the ship and they put it in the forerunner. Then it's lowered down with the crew and they row the anchor through the shallow waters into the harbor and they throw the anchor overboard and now look, the ship is in the stormy water, but its anchor is in the harbor. And they wait till morning. In fact, you remember when Paul said, we threw the anchors out and prayed for the morning. That's what they were doing. They sent the forerunner ahead to drop the anchor. That's what they did in those days. Jesus is not only the anchor of our souls, he's the forerunner. This is spectacular. For I am the Lord, I do not change. In the middle of a storm, he's your forerunner. He's your anchor. And if you can't get to harbor yet, if you get, listen, maybe some of you are very sick. Maybe some of you are watching right now from your hospital beds. And you just want to go home. You're done with it all. God, take me home. Listen, he'll take you home in his time. But just know this. Your life is in a storm. It's okay. As long as you have a forerunner. As long as that anchor's been set. He goes across. Isn't it amazing? Jesus goes across life, as it were, and across the crevasse of hell. And he plants your name in heaven, anchored to the promises of God. And we're in a storm right now. We all get that. But this storm is a good storm. See, what if it gets worse? That's good. Why? Because the worse it gets, the stronger we get. Because why? Our anchor's already been set. Now it's, now it's all opportunity for us. Well, we're going to kill Christians. Well, where's the line? Where's the line? <laughs> Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Latimer and Tyndale and the others. Hey, they're killing Christians. They're, they want our heads off because we've been teaching people the Bible. You guys wait right there. They're going to burn us at the stake or they're going to cut our heads off. Watch, keep your eyes on us. Can you imagine? Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. If I was the dictator of American education, every kid in America could not graduate from high school without reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. And they would go, and they would go there in complete incredible peace and calm, boldness, and encouraged everybody else to not be afraid. We have to end for time. We've got kids. You've got kids. I don't have any kids. You've got kids? <laughs> People, listen, you've got to, got to, got to make sure that your heart is rooted and grounded in Jesus, that you're safe. You need to just right now know that if you, today, tonight, encountered the dark forces of hell, do you know, where, do you know your position in Christ? Do you know what to do? If, if something should arise in your child's life or your wife or your husband's life that is of, from another world, do you know what to do? God has not left us without power. We have way more power in him, but you'll never really understand that power until you see that. You shouldn't have to see it, but Jesus said, all power all authority is given unto me, he said. Then watch what he does with it. Matthew 28, 19. All power is given unto me. 
Jesus points to himself. Go therefore and go make disciples of all nations. Notice the foundation. All authorities on him. So because that's true, church, get up and go. Does it make sense? You need not be afraid of anything in this world. You not need be afraid of anything in the underworld. Because greater is he that is in you than he, that evil spirit that is in the world. If you're not a born-again believer, your soul's wide open. If you're not a born-again believer, John 3, 3 is what I'm talking about if you don't know. Your soul is open. You're like a bucket in the rain with no lid on it. Anything can get in there. You only have this life to make a decision for Jesus Christ. It's not a game. Father, we pray and we ask you, Lord God, that by your great Holy Spirit, even now, there would be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that would right now say to you, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life to be my Lord and Savior, to number one, forgive me of my sins. I understand you died at the cross for me, for the world, and that you rose again from the dead. And I'm asking you, God, to write my name in your book of life, in the Lamb's book of life. And I, tonight, present myself to you to follow you. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to have that sure, steadfast anchor for my soul. You tell him that right now, and it, it takes a second for you to say it to him. That's between you and him. Be very aware of the battle in your mind, for that's where the enemy sows mischief. Look unto Christ, the scripture says, and be ye saved, all you ends of the earth. Call upon God, and he shall deliver thee. Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. Lord, we stand to worship you now and to honor you in song. Church, let's arise and let's bless him in this song of worship and love and adoration to him for all of his goodness in Jesus' name.